the pitch. From King MOX Sports. The young swings and lifts a high fly ball. It's a grand slam! This is a Meyer Jensen Sports Open Live. Shot clock off. Jumper. Yes! Jimerson from 15 on the baseline. Billikens win! Meyer Jensen, a personal injury law firm. Because sometimes the gloves have to come off. MeyerJensen.com. Touchdown! Kansas City! Now, Sports Open Line on America's Sports Voice, KMOX. We have arrived to Friday. We have arrived to the World Series. Welcome into the program. My name is Matt Pauley. Happy for the next two hours. We're taking you until 8 o'clock this evening, a full two-hour edition of the program. we got a lot to get to, a ton to get to today. As always, if you want to get involved, you can do so by calling and or texting. Just and texting. Calling or or just or texting. Calling or texting. I say and or. It's a little much if you call me and text me in the same show. So we'll say calling or texting. Choose one. 314-436-7900. 314-436-7900. Or you can tweet at me, at Matt Pauley on air. If you're going to call and text, then you have to tweet. You just have to hit the trifecta all at the exact same time. And you have to tweet at me the exact same thing that you text me. That's the rules. Uh, we got a lot going on, as I mentioned, uh, over the next uh, couple hours. A lot of World Series talk here in this first hour. We're going to hear from uh, both sides of it uh, coming up as uh, Scott Lauber is going to uh, join us. He covers the uh, Phillies for the uh, Philadelphia Inquirer. He's going to join us in about uh, 10 minutes. And then later on in the hour, we'll hear from uh, Patrick Creighton. He uh, hosts a show on ESPN Houston, and we'll get uh, his thought on the Astros. So we've got both the Phillies and the Astros covered. We'll stick with baseball here in uh, this first hour as well. Uh, This has really started to uh, make the rounds and... I hate stories like these, but at the same time, I feel like it's important to talk about it. Uh, the lack of black players, lack of African-American representation in the World Series this year. There are none, and that's not good for baseball. I I also think that this is the result of issues from a long time ago, and we won't know if those issues still exist right now until like 15 years from now. So we'll get into that coming up uh, later on. It's not good. It's a bad look for baseball, and we'll touch on that coming up uh, later on this hour. In the 7 o'clock hour, we'll talk some St. Louis Blues hockey with Scott Warman. Might even get some Missouri Valley Football Conference uh, talk in there as well with Scott, who does a lot of games for uh, the Missouri Valley Football uh, Conference. And we will replay uh, Adam Wainwright's conversation with uh, the show from earlier today after Wainwright uh, signs his deal to stay with the Cardinals. One touch on the Blues, and you're going to learn this about me. And I don't know, I, I've been with you for about four months now, so I'm sure you're starting to kind of get an idea of where I come from things. I I don't like making – I'm not the hot take guy. I don't like making these, you know, rash thoughts and decisions and that sort of thing. I just – that's why I, I, I'm always going to have a hard time at the start of seasons. I'm always going to have the hard, a hard time at the start of seasons. When it comes to my weakness in assessing things, that weakness very much is connected to the start of the season. Next year next year is going to be my first beginning of the Cardinal season with you, and I can tell you exactly what's going to happen. In the first month of the season, there's going to be something the Cardinals don't do well. They don't hit well. They don't pitch well. The bullpen isn't good. They can't win at home. They can't win on the road. What, whatever. Like There's going to be things in the first month of the season that are just not very good. And I'm going to be sitting here going, eh, 
I, I don't know. I don't know what that means. It doesn't mean anything yet. So I apply that standard to hockey, and hockey's a little bit different than baseball. I think that that take the long view approach to baseball is is more probably correct than it is in other sports. But at the end of the day, we're still really early in the hockey season, and I have no clue. I have no clue what to make of the fact that over the last three games, the Blues have been outscored 13-3. to And I have no clue what to make out of the fact that the Blues had three games at the start of the season that they won and had a couple really good performances in there. And then they've had three games where they've lost and it has not been especially good. And yesterday they end up losing uh, by a 6-2 score in Nashville against the Predators. And from a goaltending standpoint, you know, I mentioned this after uh, Thomas Grice's first game. I I thought Grice was pretty good in his first game. And my thought process was like, if, if he if that's what he gives you, on a day in day out basis, you're fine. Like that's that's the perfect backup goaltender. Well, that was one game. Yesterday wasn't quite as good. Although to be fair, I don't think his teammates lifted him up very much. There's, um, we're going to play some cuts coming up uh, later on in the program from coming out of the locker room from last night. But even going back to some things that Craig Berube had previously said, that this team uh, needs to do a better job getting closer to the net from an offensive standpoint. And I think you can apply that to what's going on from a defensive standpoint as well. Uh, they are just, they're not playing well close to the net here at the moment. So that skews probably a little bit how we view the way the goaltenders are playing. So I don't know. I just... It's six games in. They've gone on a three-game winning streak. They've gone on a three-game losing streak. They're not scoring a lot of goals right now over these last three games, but I think they are still a very offensively talented team. The injuries obviously have started to pile up just a bit. That's the last thing you went. That's the thing that would scare me. That's the thing. If, If I am trying to assess something to be worried about, I think I would be worried about injuries. And the reason I say that is because it happens in sports where you just have that snake bit season where you have injuries from from Jump Street. From the beginning of the year, you deal with injuries, and it just keeps happening all year long. There's no reason to believe that's going to be a description of this year's Blues team, but if there's some, I just, I've seen it way too many times where a season is derailed by injuries and it starts early and it just never goes away. So if there's something that I can maybe be legitimately worried about right now, it's that they're coming up on one of those type of seasons. You hope it's not, and it's not really something that they can really control. So we'll get more into the Blues coming up uh, next hour, to be sure. But uh, up next, we'll talk about the World Series. It is getting underway this evening. We'll start on the Philly side of things as uh, Scott Lauber from the Philadelphia Inquirer. He joins us next. This is Sports Open Line on KMOX. Your home of the Cardinals. Arnado swings and hits it deep to left field. That ball is out of here. The Billikens. Jumper. Yes! Billikens win! The Chiefs. Touchdown! Kansas City! We are America's sports voice. KMOX.
The World Series begins tonight. Phillies Astros, just as everybody had it uh, when the season got started. This hour, we're going to head uh, to folks who cover both the uh, Phillies and the Astros. We're going to start with the Phillies. Very happy to welcome onto the program Scott Lauber, covers the team for the uh, Philadelphia Inquirer. Follow him on Twitter at Scott, L A U B E R. Scott, thank you so much for your time. How are you? Hey, how are you? I am good. So I was, if people go to your Twitter right now, the last story that you've got a tweet out on is a conversation with Reggie Jackson. And I found this to be really interesting because uh, you talked to Reggie about Bryce Harper's playoff performance, and he basically said, well, for it to really mean anything, they got to win the World Series. And if anybody other than Reggie Jackson says that, you kind of shrug it off. But I think, you know, Reggie maybe has the chops to uh, to be able to say that with his resume. But well, what do you think when, when he says that, that for, for Harper's things to really matter, he's got to win it all? Yeah, so um, for people who don't know, Reggie Jackson works for the Astros now. He's, he's an advisor to their owner. He's ever-present, I think. Um, he's on the field quite a bit during batting practice. and So he was on the field yesterday during their workout, and, um, you know, we've sort of been talking about Bryce Harper in Philadelphia as sort of the new Mr. October, so who better to talk about that mm-hmm. than the, the actual Mr. October? And, yeah, I found it interesting. You know, like, he didn't take anything away from what Harper has done this postseason. I mean, how can you? You know, I mean, he's, he's hitting 400. He's got five home runs. Um you know, he was sort of he sort of scratched the surface in the Cardinal series. The, the home run that he hit in Game Two um, off Miles Michaelis, I think, kind of got him going. He, he really he struggled at the end of the season uh, to regain his timing after he missed all that time with the thumb. And ever since that game, Game Two in St. Louis, he's been pretty unstoppable. And so obviously, he hits this huge home run to put the Phillies in the playoffs and uh, in the World Series and he's having this huge October and, and Reggie was sort of saying like, look, I mean, he's a, he's a good player, great player who's sort of taking it up a notch this year, but you know, you kind of have to finish the deal. And if you think about Reggie, um, you know, he kind of made his name as Mr. October with the three home runs uh, against the Dodgers in the deciding game of the 77 world series and had a huge world series that year in 77. And really that's where it kind of came from. I think Thurman Munson coined it, um, Somebody asked Munson something, and he said, well, why don't you go ask Mr. October over there? And um, that was kind of the, the genesis of that. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think, look, I think Reggie has a point. You know, I, I think in Philadelphia, people are going to remember this this postseason run no matter what happens, and they're going to remember the home run in, in Game 5 against the Padres, and they're going to remember the double in Game 4. Um, they're going to remember the, the postseason that he had. But, yeah, I think Reggie has a point there that, you know, in order to make it um, – all time, you know, in order to make it something that everybody outside of just Philadelphia remembers, you have to kind of win it all. And uh, those are what the stakes are when you get into the World Series. People in St. Louis have an interesting view of this because of the Phillies that knocked out uh, the Cardinals. And Adam Wainwright said the other day, he did a, a Zoom call after they announced his new deal. And he said that going into the Philly series, he thought the winner of that series was going to win the World Series, or at least go to the World Series. I don't know which one he said, but either way, that's what Adam Wainwright said that he felt going into that first series, that it was either going to be the Phillies or the Cardinals. It's just, it's so interesting to me that the Phillies didn't surge to get into the playoffs. They, they're they that first game, you know, kind of blow up by the Cardinals there at the end of the game away from who knows what happened in that series, and now all of a sudden, here they are playing in the World Series. Yeah, I mean, there are so many what-ifs to this whole entire thing. Um, 
you know, I was talking to several people about it the other day before they left to come here to Houston for the World Series. And, you know, what happens if they don't score six in the ninth against the Cardinals in game one and they, they lose that game? What happens if, you know, there's not an extra wild card team this year? They don't make the playoffs in the first place. What happens if there's no DH in the National League? Now Bryce Harper's out for the year with an elbow injury as opposed to being able to play through it as the DH. So, so many of those what ifs, um, you know, that, that you could play through and, and the Phillies are not, are not here. I think my major takeaway from all of this, from this big run of theirs, is that it's something that I think a lot of us have kind of known for a while, but it really kind of came together over the last month or so. And that is, you know, the Phillies had some close calls in 2021 and, and 2020, the short season at, at 2019. They, they missed the playoffs those years, not by much. Uh, they didn't have real good Septembers struggled down the stretch, wound up on the outside looking in. And it was really um, conquering the 162 games and getting into the playoffs. That was the biggest challenge for them. And one of the reasons why is that prior to this year, um, you know, their roster was really top-heavy with stars. You know, I think any team in in baseball would take Bryce Harper and JT Real Muto and Zach Wheeler and Aaron Nola and Reese Hoskins if they were starting a team tomorrow. They wouldn't mind having those guys at the top of their roster. But it was the middle and bottom of the roster and the 40-man depth that really was an issue for them. So getting through the grind of a 162 was hard for them. But I think a lot of people felt, including internally with the Phillies, that if they could just get in, that they could be a tough team to beat in the postseason because the postseason's about the stars, right? And the postseason is about having a couple of horses at the top of your rotation who could pitch four times in a seven-game series or or – potentially three times in a five-game series. And if you've got the top of the roster like they had, that they could be a tough team to beat. And they got in on October 3rd, the third-to-last game of the season. They qualified as the last wild card. Um, and they went to St. Louis, and they let their stars do their thing. And it really didn't stop. They went to Atlanta. I didn't think they would beat the Braves. The Braves won the division, uh, the NL East. They, they were the defending champs. Um, and, and they beat the Braves, and then they beat the Padres, and they did it on the strength of their stars. You know, even in game four in that NLCS when they had a kind of a bullpen game and their starting pitcher didn't make it out of the first inning, you know, their top five guys in the order, um, we're talking about Schwarber, Hoskins, Real Muto, Harper, and Nick Castellanos went like nine for 19 and drove in 10 runs. I mean, that's how teams that have stars win in the postseason, and that's what they've done over the course of the last three and a half weeks. The story of Rob Thompson is just fantastic because he gets they, they make the managerial change in the middle of the season, and now he leads them to the World Series. I'm sure he will do a lot of reflecting at the end of the year, but when speaking with you guys, have you gotten any sense that he's maybe taken that half step back and just kind of, he's managing the World Series, and he was not a manager when this season got started? You know, he, he says he hasn't really had the time to do that yet or or done or taken the time to do that yet, and I, I, I believe him because I think he's a pretty straight shooter and he's been pretty honest with us since he took the job. Maybe it is something that he thinks about in a few weeks when he goes home to Canada. He's, he lives in Canada. He's Canadian. He's the first Canadian manager in the World Series. and So maybe, maybe that is something that he'll reflect on later, but I'm sure it has you know, gone through his mind. I'm sure that there are times where he's back at, you know, he's at home and in a quiet moment, you know, you kind of have to pitch yourself. You know, it is a great story because he has had a really long journey in the game, and 
Um, he interviewed for a few managerial jobs after the 2017 season. Uh, he was the Yankees bench coach at that time, and they were making a change. So he interviewed for the Yankee job, and he interviewed for the Blue Jays job and didn't get either of them. And the Phillies called, and they had just hired Gabe Kapler, and he was an inexperienced manager, and they wanted an experienced bench coach. And he has told me a number of times that, you know, once he did that and he took that job, he kind of stopped thinking about ever managing because, you know, you go go for enough interviews and you don't get them, and, you know, you, you just sort of think like, okay, I'm going to do what I do really well, and that's be a, be a coach. And, you know, I, I do wonder, I mean, you know, you see guys who are coaches for a long period of time and maybe they get kind of stereotyped as, you know, a guy who's a great coach and, and because he's a great coach, he's always a good number two, but never a good number one or never, never considered to be a number one. And he got the opportunity as an interim manager when they fired Joe Girardi and they played great under him. And, and, um, you know, the players really responded. He's kind of a, if you've seen him in these press conferences, he's kind of a even keeled, calm, almost puts you to sleep kind of guy. And, but he's got this wicked sense of humor too. And, um, you know, uh, he's, he's got a way of disarming young players in particular. I've had some young players tell me, like Alec Bohm, the young third baseman, said that, you know, after Harper went down, they decided to move Bohm up to number three in the order. And Thompson went to him on the plane and said, you know, would you be scared to hit third? And Bohm kind of laughed and was like, what are you talking about? Like, and he's like, would you be scared? Could you handle it? Could you do it? And, it was kind of like putting him at ease and saying, like, I think you can do it. If you think you can do it, we're going to do this. And he's done that on a number of occasions. So he's really had a, um, the right touch for this group. And um, it's kind of been an unbelievable, you know, just the Rob Thompson story is kind of an unbelievable sidebar to what the Phillies have done here. Yeah, absolutely. Scott Lauber joining us. Just one more thing for you, kind of a, a finish this sentence sort of thing. The Phillies win the World Series if. What What are the thing or the, the couple things that have to happen uh, here in this series for the Phillies to come away as world champions? If they hit, you know, and uh, it's probably counterintuitive at this time of year, you know. I mean, this time of year we tend to focus on the pitchers and pitching wins in, in the postseason and, and all of that. And, you know, they're going to get a really good pitching staff here from the Astros. It's not just Justin Verlander in game one. It's going to be – Framber Valdez, it's going to be um, Lance McCullers, it's going to be uh, their bullpen. It's you know they've got starting pitchers who would be good, you know number three starters on most teams who might not get a start in this series. So uh, they've got a really good staff, and and the Phillies were built were built to slug. You know they were built to score a ton of runs, and it didn't always happen that way for them throughout the course of the year. Uh, they weren't always together. Harper missed two months. Uh, Castellanos was in and out of the lineup toward the end of the season uh, and didn't have the year that he, that everyone thought he was going to have, but they're built to slug. They're built to score runs. And I I think they're going to have to do that a little bit here in this world series, because while they expect to get really good starts from Nola and Wheeler, like they have throughout the postseason, um, you know, I I think that they're just going to have to overcome this, this Astros pitching staff one way or another. And, and they're going to have to score. So I think they're going to have to hit, and uh, if they can do that, I think they have a chance. He is Scott Lauber. You can read his great work uh, in the Philadelphia Inquirer. Scott, thank you so much for taking some time, and I'm sure a very busy time with you with the World Series getting started very soon. Uh, enjoy covering the series, and hopefully we'll catch up again at some point in the future. Thank you, guys. Anytime. All right, very good. There's Scott Lauber joining us here on the program. Appreciate him taking some time. Yeah, that, that story that he has with um, 
with Reggie Jackson's really good. So I encourage you to uh, read that. All right, we're going to switch sides and we're going to talk some uh, Houston Astros at baseball. Patrick Creighton from ESPN Houston. He'll join us after this break at Sports Open Line here on KMOX. Welcome back to the Meyer Jensen Sports Open Line. Swing it along with the left. That's a grand slam for Yadier Molina. This is Sports Open Line on KMOX. Continuing on here on a Friday night, the World Series is going to be getting underway momentarily as the Astros and the Phillies are going to slug it out. Maybe over a full seven games. We'll see. We just talked some Phillies baseball. Now we'll talk some uh, Astros baseball. Very happy to uh, welcome on a guy who uh, is a host on uh, ESPN 97.5 in Houston. He is Patrick Creighton. You can follow him on Twitter at pcreighton1. Patrick, always good to talk to you. How are you? Matty P, what's going on, brother? First time to talk to you uh, on your new home, your new date. Congratulations. Hope you're enjoying life in one of the greatest baseball cities in the country. I absolutely am. I'm glad to get you uh, here uh, on the signal. And um, this this World Series, like it just it feels like the Astros should win it just based off how they've been playing in the playoffs, not taking anything away from the Phillies, who have obviously played well to get here as well. But, man, it feels like the Astros should win it. Is that the feeling in Houston right now? That's a feeling in Houston right now. I mean, when when I first looked at the series at the beginning of the week, I was feeling, all right, you know what, this this is like an Astros and Six type series. And the more I go through the numbers and the more I watched through the film uh, and, and went through not, not just radio stuff, but the postseason stuff, man, if the Phillies don't win tonight, this might not – this ain't coming back. This is not coming back to Houston. If they don't win tonight, this might be a sweep. Like, people don't like – I always talk about, oh, the Phillies are so hot. The Phillies are so hot. Has anybody realized the Astros are seven and zero, and Jose Altuve didn't have a hit until Saturday? I mean, that's almost impossible. Usually, as Jose Altuve goes, the Astro goes. Jose Altuve's three for thirty-two. The Astros are seven and zero. He is so due to break out. Usually, when Altuve has a bad stretch, he follows that up being completely unconscious and unpitchable at the plate. If that's the Altuve we get in this series, broomsticks. Hmm. All right. Well, we'll we'll keep that. Uh, we'll keep the tape of that, and we'll see what happens here over the next few games. Any worry? And this uh, this impacts the both teams because they both advanced on the same day. But is there any worry just about how hot this Astros team has been? The fact that they've gone uh, almost a week without a game. No, I think the Phillies should be more worried about that than the Astros. The Astros had five days off before the ALDS. And then they had three days off before the ALCS. So the Astros have had two long breaks. This is the first long break for the Phillies since they've gotten hot. Usually when a team is really hot, the one thing they don't want to do is not play. You know, we go back to the 2007 Rockies. So that, those guys were so unconscious. Then they had a long layoff before the World Series. They came out, they were ice cold, they got swept. So, but I think it's, it's a bigger detriment to the team that is newly hot. You know, the Phillies were not very good down the stretch. Uh, but they've gotten hot here in the postseason. The Astros have just continued to mash and maul people all year long. Like this is this is nothing new for them. I think it affects I think it affects the Phillies way more than it affects the Astros. Justin Verlander was so good this year, one seven five ERA. Did, did you? Is there was there any way to see that coming? No. What this year is completely unprecedented. Uh, there's no way anybody could have thought. That, that he was basically going to turn the clock back, and uh, you know, eight years, and be like, okay, um, I know I'm I'm 39, and I'm coming off TJ, 
and I'm throwing just as hard as I did 10 years ago. And my breaking stuff is just as good as it's ever been. Like this, it shouldn't be possible. Justin Verlander's not human. He's an alien. And, and he's not going to die. He's just going to go home. Like he, he is an alien. And for, for what he did is just, I mean, it, we, we watched history. And, you know, that first game against Seattle, he had a mechanical issue that uh, he corrected. And then you saw uh, against the Yankees, 11 straight, eight of them punch outs. Verlander found his groove. Verlander has that groove tonight. It's going to be a lot of strikeouts and a lot of sad faces in Philadelphia. I don't know if anybody's talking about this in Houston, but really when you take a step back and kind of look at the Verlander story, it becomes that much more impressive when you consider the fact that there was the lockout. So, like, he didn't have access to the team doctors and all that sort of stuff. And obviously he's he had a great staff around him. But I, I think that impacted some guys who were rehabbing injuries, and it, it certainly did not impact him. It did not because he, you know, look, Verland is super rich and he has his own doctors. But it did impact Lance McCullers Jr., who had a setback in January but didn't have access to any of the team doctors, so he just shut down. And that's why Lance McCullers Jr. Like, hadn't picked up a ball and all the way into, like, April and May, and he wasn't able to get back until, you know, the middle of, of August. McCullers was greatly impacted uh, by the lockout. The Dusty Baker story and whether or not he can finally get a World Series uh, championship as a manager, can you just can you just speak to that a little bit? And it feels like unless you have something against Dusty Baker, and there's some people, some people in St. Louis don't like Dusty because of his time managing Cardinals rivals. Like there's there are people out there, and that's fine. But if you kind of don't have a dog in the fight, it feels like most people are kind of rooting for Dusty. I don't know how you don't root for Dusty. And look, I get he managed the Cubs, he managed the Giants, he managed the Reds, and, and he won in all those places. He managed the Nationals and won there too. But sometimes it's okay to have a healthy respect for a rival. Like, for example, I hate Chipper Jones, only in a sports sense. I have the utmost respect for Chipper Jones. Absolutely incredible player. But he destroyed the Mets. I'm a Mets fan. He broke my heart and crushed my dreams every freaking year. I never wanted to see that guy. But you have respect for him. You know, sports hate and hate are very different. You can't look at Dusty's career and look at the guys that he's managed and, and the wins that he's accumulated and the respect that he has throughout the game. I mean, it was so cool to see the Astros chanting, Dusty, Dusty. Dusty on the stage winning the ALCS. That never happened. You never see teams chanting their manager, especially when he's old enough to be our fathers. <laughs> so our fathers, you know, we're, we're Gen Xers. No, we're our fathers. And, and they love him. They love him. They fight for him. They play their butts off for him. This is the year, man. This is the year. You, you can see this Astros team is motivated to get a chip for their manager. All right, so last thing for you. This is an ask. I just got a text message here on our text line saying, Boo Houston. And I know the reason that texter sent that in is because there's a lot of people that have not forgiven the Astros for the cheating scandal, will never forgive the Astros for the cheating scandal. I'm sure that doesn't bother the Astros so much. But where does that play in to this whole storyline of who the Astros are, them being able to just continue to seemingly get into the ALCS every single year, for them to be this high-level organization, for them to be a team that has let some high-profile players go, yet they continue to win at a high level, and now here they are as the favorite in the World Series. 
look, there's three hitters left from the 2017 team. Jose Altuve, Alex Bregman, and Yuli Gurriel. And the fact that every other player from that team uh, has gone on and gotten paid significant money by every other team, including competitors like the White Sox, like the Yankees, like the Blue Jays, the manager gets hired in Detroit, clearly nobody really cares. It's, it's a nice thing to rile up fans and have fake anger, but in reality, everybody knows the whole dang league was cheating in 2017. If the Astros didn't win, whoever did win, whether it was the Yankees, who got busted for cheating, and there's a whole Yankees letter that explains they were cheating since 2015, using the video room to either have somebody come down or use the phone to call it in, the, the Red Sox and their Apple Watch, the Mets and the Brewers ratted out the Dodgers, baseball swept that under the rug. Look, if, if we're going to go with the once a cheater, always a cheater, and no matter what, for the rest of your existence, you're a cheater. Well, I can give you the example of every single team cheating. Uh, the Phillies, most of all, they invented cheating all the way back in 1900. They were the first team to cheat illegally stealing signs and using buzzers. They also had their bullpen coach caught by the Rockies using binoculars to steal signs in 2010. So you give me the team, I'll give you an example of how they're cheating. Every team has cheated. You've got to look at each team in its own right, in, in its own year. Each team is different. If you're going to say, oh, well, these guys are the dirty cheaters, everybody's been a dirty cheater because if you're not cheating, you're not trying. He is Patrick Creighton. You can hear him on uh, ESPN 97.5 in Houston. Uh, Patrick, thanks so much. Always enjoy uh, catching up with you, and I'm sure we'll do this again in the future. My friend, always my pleasure. All right, very good. There's Patrick Creighton joining us here on Sports Open Line, one of my favorite people to uh, to talk baseball with. And, yeah, he does a great show there uh, in Houston. We'll take a break. We'll come back, and I want to – hopefully we'll see what time it is. I want to spend enough time on this to really get into it, but – first World Series that we've seen uh, with without a black player participating, and it's not a good look for baseball. Can baseball do anything right now that's going to impact though right now? I don't know, but we'll discuss it coming up in just a moment. Sports Open Line here on KMOX. Your home of the Cardinals. Arnado swings and hits it deep to left field. That ball is out of here. The Billikens. Jumper. Yes! Billikens win! The Chiefs. Touchdown, Kansas City. We are America's Sports Voice, KMOX. Sports Open Line continues here on a Friday night. We are taking you till 8 o'clock. Coming up in the 7 o'clock hour, Scott Warman will join us. We'll talk St. Louis Blues hockey with him. We'll probably get a little Missouri Valley football uh, in there as well. And we will replay the conversation uh, that the show had with Adam Wainwright earlier today. Wanted to hit on this uh, very quickly. Um, the This World Series, for the first time since 1950, has no black players involved. And uh, there's it's not all white players. There are Latin American players. There are people of color, but there are not any African American, not any black players involved. And this is a problem in baseball. This is a real problem in baseball. And this is a this is a direct result of I think kids not thinking that baseball is cool. And some of the best athletes choosing to go play other sports. Now, I think I think you can trace this to what's going on at a youth level. And let me let me start by giving Major League Baseball some credit on something. 
they have worked hard putting in the the urban uh, youth academies and things like that to try to make the game more accessible to people who it's frankly not been as accessible to. Now, the game's got to be cool. The game's got to be. And I also think we in St. Louis probably look at it a little bit differently than in other places because in St. Louis, Cardinals baseball is the coolest thing there is. It's it's not like that in other places. That's To me, that's part of why the NFL didn't want to be in St. Louis. They didn't like playing second fiddle to a baseball team. In St. Louis, baseball is always going to be number one. So I would argue it's probably a little bit different in St. Louis than it is in other cities when it comes to the coolness of the sport for kids. But it's still, it's not, the the NBA and basketball is still going to be the coolest thing out there. And the NBA does an incredible job of being able to uh, market the sport. Here's where I have a really hard time talking about this. A really hard time talking about this. The problems now can't be fixed right away and today's problem is a result of mistakes made what 15 years ago so you you can't address this problem like directly you can't do something that's going to result in more uh, more black players being involved in the game at the major league level next year or two years from now or three years from now this is a long play so we can sit here and we can lament the fact that there are very few black players playing Major League Baseball. We can lament the fact that there are no black players in the World Series for the first time since 1950. We can accept the fact that it's a problem. What we can't do is have an answer that's going to fix it quickly. I mentioned when I opened up this segment that Major League Baseball has done a nice job of investing into urban areas to try to make the game more accessible. But the bottom line on that is if that's going to help, if that's going to make the game more accessible, if that's going to result in more more kids making the decision to play baseball and then that resulting in more kids playing baseball up the line and eventually into college and the minor leagues and in the big leagues, that, that might be a 15-year play. You know, we're we're talking about trying to get basically little kids, uh, maybe middle school kids involved in the game of baseball. They're not going to be in the big leagues for a really, really long time. And so that's where this for me, this problem, it's it's hard to address it right now. And we don't know if baseball is doing enough at the moment to fix this problem or to make this problem better. They're probably not doing enough to fix the problem, but are they making the problem better? We don't know if baseball is doing enough right now because we're not going to see the fruit of their current efforts for maybe 15 years. And that makes this really tough. I don't know about you, but I'm somebody, if there's a problem, I want to go fix the problem. And here we are, there is a problem and there's not an immediate fix. Now, one thing that is uh, that is not going to change is baseball is horribly, horribly expensive to get involved with from from a youth standpoint. 
when you're talking about all these kids going out there and playing travel ball and, you know, these baseball academies are just popping up right and left all the time. And it's a huge money making business. And I'm not I'm not lamenting that if if you got an opportunity to go make money and to take advantage of, you know, kids playing baseball, that's great. Like in no way, shape or form am I saying that that's wrong, that these people are opening up these baseball academies. But the bottom line is this, and I think we could probably say the same thing about hockey. These are expensive sports to play at a high level as a kid. You want to go play basketball at a high level. Now there is some travel, especially when you're talking about AAU basketball and things like that. So it's not completely easy to get involved with, but you want to go play baseball, basketball. It is not as cost prohibitive. So I appreciate major league baseball, Uh got a text message from the 573 said it's not a problem it's a fluke grow up people it's not a fluke it's not a fluke a fluke is something that's random a fluke is something that is an anomaly we have seen for an extended period of time the number of black players going down and down and down at the major league level now can you say it's a fluke that it just so happens to be that there are two teams that don't have a black player on their roster that are in the World Series? Okay, I guess there's a flukish nature to that, but when there's more and more of those teams that are existing, it's not a fluke. There is there is a problem and it's baseball's known it for a while and that's why they are investing into urban areas. We just won't know if what they're doing is working uh, for quite some time. All right, that's going to do it for hour number one of the program. We'll talk a lot more St. Louis Blues hockey in hour number two. Scott Warman's going to join us in just a bit here on KMOX.